Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue our expectations series. We've been doing this pretty much all month, talking about uh, two Ravens at a time, one from the offense, one from the defense with a local analyst. Here to join me tonight is Coach DC. Coach, how are you doing? Hey, man, I'm doing good. Thank you for the intro and, and calling me an analyst. I don't I don't really know what I am at this point, but um, I was you know really humbled when you asked me to come on. And, and I think it's a really cool series idea that you have focusing on one offense player and one defense player. And these are two guys that I really like. So I appreciate the invite. All right. So the guys you pick, Devin Duvernay and Michael Pierce, a couple of guys who certainly could make a big impact on this team. And I guess their impact is a little up in the air in both cases. So we'll talk about both of them. We'll start with Devin Duvernay. Uh, the the wide receiver room over the offseason has gotten a lot more crowded with the addition of Zay Flowers through the draft, Nelson Aguilar via free agency, and Odell Beckham, of course, as well. Uh, where do you see Devin Duvernay fitting into that group? I guess we'll start with that question. Yeah, it's I didn't anticipate like I didn't think about this much pre-show in terms of you know where he would be because I don't do like rankings, but I guess you have to on some level because you got to try to connect to people who you know they hear that all the time. Why receiver two? Why receiver four? Like I hate that. I'll, just to be straightforward. But having said that, having said that, I'll use it for the Duvernay question because I think he's a slider. I think one day he could be, you know, the the number two or three guy. And then one day he might, you know, quote, disappear from the offense and not really be a factor. But I think that's also a byproduct of just how much talent there is at wide receiver and tight end on this team. It's you've been following this team from a, a detailed standpoint longer than I have. But this seems like a uniquely talented offense with the depth that's there at receiver, tight end and then, you know, running back as well, assuming the health there. Yeah, I think it's assuming they help a lot of places. I mean, Bateman, their their most important receiver, probably, or maybe the second most to Flowers this year in terms of his ability to open up the offense is just critical for this team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Duvernay, you know, in looking at this, and I just did Nelson Aguilar today as well, and looking at the two of these, I know there's there's some questions with Duvernay because he's entering year four, so he's age twenty five. That's that's great. UFA after the season. So he's playing for a lot this year. So you'd love him, you know, to extract a great year out of him in a contract year, the way, you know, a lot of players have ended up leaving the Ravens leave on great terms with a, with a 10 touchdown, you know, 60 catch season or whatever. That's obviously dreaming in Duvernay's case, but it would be wonderful. Um, But he's, he's one of a very large group of fourth year players on this team. And I just really want to read this list really quickly because it's a little scary the kind of rebuild they're going to have to go through. So Tyler Huntley, a quarterback, is a fourth-year player. J.K. Dobbins, we all know, is already kind of wants an extension now and and uh, and obviously is, is a little bit probably gun-shy about getting hurt, frankly, uh, in his fourth year. James Prochet, a fourth-year player. Uh, Devin Duvernay, a fourth-year player. 
moving on, we have John Simpson, a fourth-year player on the offensive line. Sam Mustafer, a fourth-year player. Uh, at linebacker, we have Patrick Queen, of course, a fourth-year player. Malik Harrison, a fourth-year player. Deshaun Phillips, Christian Welch. So that's a that's a large portion of the inside linebacker core. Uh, three guys who who uh, could be gone next year. Of course, you got Roquan signed long term. Then on the defensive backfield, Geno Stone is a fourth year player. He's the only one. That's uh, a kind of a relief there on the defensive line. Two big ones: Justin Matabike and Broderick Washington. So there are a lot of guys. The major guys they had leaving this last year were were Josh Oliver and Powers. Honestly, the next year's group is a lot more daunting in terms of trying to replace them. Absolutely, man. And and for DuVernay, from a personal standpoint for him, it's it's obviously a huge year. And I think that'll be what's so interesting about this team is if you can, I don't know if you can see, you know, player buy-in, but when they're blocking for each other on offense, to me, that's buy-in. You know, when position players are blocking, I did a video on Mark Andrews this past week where mm-hmm. I I thought I showed him with improved blocking in, in three different places, parts of the field. And for DuVernay, that's going to be a part of his game. And, and with as much as Munkin is going to get the ball out there quick to the sideline, uh, make people defend horizontally first. I feel like um, that's one of the things Munkin does. I feel like he makes you defend horizontally first, stretch you out sideline to sideline, and then try to stretch you vertically a little bit later. That's, that's really interesting because all we've heard about Munkin has really talked about the every blade of grass nature of it which you've got to assume since the Ravens certainly already had the horizontal aspect of stretching defenses very well covered with, with um, Roman that Monken's the difference would be, we're going to see a lot more vertical stretching of the field. And and it, I, I completely agree with you, by the way, that you still have to stretch the field horizontally. You still have to make that uh, an attractive option for Jackson, a, a force the, defense into stress as Michael Crawford would put it or just into decision making that can go wrong on how to deal with Lamar Jackson by spreading that field horizontally and it's the and it's the threat of it at times what I mean we know I can't prove it because I don't have data you know custom data you know me I don't rely on other people's data I just don't I refuse to I'm Irish so we're you know too too hard-headed for our own good but um I I think that Munkin strategically stretches the field horizontally first to plant that seed in your mind as a defensive coordinator, or even a defensive player. And then, you know, the, the vertical stretch is obviously equally important, if not more so, but the threat of those two things at the same time is actually what is the most important, in my opinion, having players schemes and shown uh, the plays to the defense that will stretch the field horizontally and vertically, you know, it really, you know, the every blade of grass thing, um, is a cool concept and it's cool to say, but I think I think it, Devin Duvernay to me is a guy who can do both. Yes, and, and there's and there's film of him doing both. I mean, part of the thing in my prep for this, I did write some notes. Was look at the two touchdowns against the Jets in Week One last year. You know, the first one is on a fade route against man defense. Now it was the Jets' fourth best man defensive back. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can say what you want. There is still an NFL corner is still a guy who, and there was a defense, there was a defense, my apologies. There was a defensive pass interference on that play as well. And do still caught it. Yep. And then, then the second one is a, another third down. It's a post route um, in the, you know, in, in the back of the end zone, great throw by Lamar wide open down. Those are both, uh, I think 18 plus yard touchdowns. So like 
Duvernay has an impact horizontally and vertically, but at a time of Munkin's choosing. And I think that's really the key to the offense now is that they don't, they don't have to threaten you everywhere at all times. They just have to show it to you enough to keep it in your mind defensively as a play caller, you know, and as a guy who's on the field with a helmet on trying to figure out what the hell play are they getting ready to run? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, you, you don't have to show everything on every play, but I think, there needs to be better scheme this year. And by the way, this is always the problem when we talk, <laughs> Coach. We, yeah, no. We we talk about everything else, but the but the but the time. But but I I, I really want to see a spread of reads this year, um, as within the play call, such that it isn't always read one Andrews or Andrews nobody, <laughs> which is absolutely to be a lot of the time is has been no. The, uh, you are totally correct, and that's not a shot at Lamar. That's just reality. Yep. There was a lot of times where we were focused on Andrews first and a little bit too long, and we didn't move from him quick enough. And and to to make things better for Lamar, to be a better coach, whether it's Greg Roman or Todd Munkin, you you have to go in the reverse order sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes it's someone else and someone you know, one two is someone else, some two other guys, and then three is Andrews. Right. You know, and and then you do that in practice, and you see, okay, is he getting to that third read quicker? And now we might have to have a conversation, like, why are we getting to the third read faster when it's Andrews <laughs> as opposed to Andrews <laughs> one, and then two other guys? That those are the real conversations you might have to have. Maybe not at the NFL level, but you know, at the level I'm experienced too. Look, in terms of Duvernay. I did I did look up some stuff and I, one of the things I want to say about him in terms of whether it's going to be a good season uh, what's a good season what's a great season for him let me uh, give you some numbers and interrupt me you know when you wish uh, through eight games last year you're talking about um, 24 catches three touchdowns 300 yards as a receiver 75 percent catch percentage yep. oh, in our dis <clears throat> yeah in our discord, uh, we talked about it was around that time. I don't remember where I tried to scroll back today and there's just too many messages there. You can't scroll back too far. And it's like a group text or group chat for people who are listening and don't know. Uh, after thereafter, after that, his production fell off a cliff after week eight. Well, there he were had, some problems. And, and one of them is named Lamar Hunt. Uh, sorry, is named Huntley. Right. But but this is even more than that. If you if people want to pull it up while they're listening, they're more than welcome to is go find his stats for the season and pull it up by game. He had one hundred and seven yards receiving in the next six games. In none of those games did he have more than eight yards per catch. Now, I think there was one game there where he had six catches on six targets. But you're talking about a guy who had twenty four catches through eight games and then suddenly nothing thereafter other than one game that was six catches on six targets he only had 65 yards in the last uh for after game eight only right. 65 i'm sorry that's not true eight, 94 total yards after yeah so so at the same time that that happens him falling off a cliff in terms of production receiving here's the other stats i wanted to read out weeks one through eight punt returns 11 returns for 166 yards i think that's 16 and a half per return pretty good after that, weeks 9 through 15, five returns for 24 yards. Now, some would say, well, that's a pretty small sample size, only five returns. Okay, but when you look at those two statistics together, I think you've got pretty clear evidence that the guy was not healthy and, and, and even before the injury that put him out. And I can think of two plays. I have never seen Devin DuVernay not hustle. 
I have never seen him not give 100%, whether he's running the ball, whether he's blocking, whether he's catching the ball. I saw two plays last year where he didn't run his route. And at that point, at that moment, I thought something might not be right. Yeah. I mean, it's, there were obviously Duvernay was on the field after something was wrong. There's no doubt about it. He had 11 fair catches down the stretch, too, which is, you know, you don't always look at that, but when you're not returning a punt, it, it, there can be multiple reasons why you don't do that. It's not just I don't see a return open. It may be a I'm here and I'm not the same player I was kind of thing. And, and he's still on there for the fair catch, which is, you know, has value to it, by the way. Not getting the football is the worst outcome in a lot of ways with a punt, you know, and, and allowing to bounce and, and go downfield. But, uh, you know, one of the things, Duvernay's health, obviously a big issue for this coming year. And it appears that things are okay now based on some of the OTAs and, and whatnot. But, you know, we'll see if he's, if he's really at 100% when, when things come around. One of the things that, that has been talked about, but I don't think is, is clarified yet, is whether or not he'll even be on the team. So here's the combination of factors. First of all, the health factor, I think he's probably overcome that. But he makes $4.304 million this year. Uh, which can all be saved. Actually, that's not quite true, as I'm often reminded. The 4.304 million, if they cut him, they have to replace him with at least a guy who's making, you know, 700,000 to whatever the vet minimum is. So they have to at least do that. But they can save most of that 4.304 million if they cut him. Um, I don't think at this point that's likely at all, given the current status of Bateman, the remainder of that wide receiver room. And uh, and uh, Duvernay's uh, basically return to health at this point. I think it's it's very unlikely that they will cut him at that salary. Where are you on that? Yeah, I think there's zero chance he's he gets cut. <laughs> I think okay. there's zero. Ch- now, is it possible that some team sees value in him and trades for him? Is that possible? I, I get me personally. I would say I think that's more likely. I don't really think either of those will happen. I I guess because my judgment of him is solely based on the first eight games last season, because that's, that was him at his best. Now, of course, in the 17 game season, you're going to have to play at times when you're 92% or, you know, unfortunately maybe you're 85% depending on what position you play. Um, Those first eight games, you know, two touchdowns against the jets kickoff return for touchdown against the dolphins touchdown against the Patriots on a great play on a third down again in man coverage. And if I remember correct, that was a very similar concept to the failed fourth down against the Bills down there in the end zone. Conceptually very similar, lined up as a slot, essentially ran a fade. Also had a huge punt return that week against the Patriots. I can go on and on. Week five, eight touches for 88 yards. He played great early in the season. Yeah, that week five game against the Bengals, huge breakout game in a lot of ways. Even though he'd already played very well, and you mentioned had a number of big plays in the season, for him to take over that Bengals game in terms of just being the gadget guy lined up in the backfield on at least one play that week, yep. uh, you know, had jet plays, uh, he, he gives you so much. I've got a few other statistics I want to name from this last yep. year, and they don't really overlap with yours. Here's the big one. 8.3 yards per target. I don't think people understand just what a great year he had this last year. He only had one drop the whole season, by the way. He's being right. added to a receiver room, which has a ton of drop problems. All of the following likely has a big drop problem. Bateman, a big drop problem. Aguilar is one of the worst drop problems in the entire NFL in recent years. Uh, Slayton of the Giants is about the only guy who's really worse. Um, and Beckham really has not. He's been a below average 
uh, guy for for dropping the football as well. So, uh, you know, Andrews has had some recent difficulty with dropping the football. But I, I think a lot of that has to do with contested catches. But the other guys, there's really no excuse for. They just they just drop the football a lot is what it comes down to. Devin Dubé is not, a, not uh, really um, thought of in that sense as being a great receiver, but he, but he has a very high catch rate. And that's 74%. Yeah. 74%. So 75 held up for, yep. for the last year, I think for the whole year and that 8.3 yards per target. I mean, that's the most important receiving statistic there is. That's just, that's just who he is. It's just, it's who he is. Like some stats, you know, ebb and flow over the course of a season or from one year to the next. It's like, it's like I was talking about with a video with JK Dobbins. He averaged uh, six yards per carry last year, I believe, or maybe it was 5.94 or something. That's who he is. That's, that's what he's going to do. This this is, this is a question in the, in the case of, of Devin Duvernay, because he's 8.3 in his really great year last year. And the year before he had a 70% catch rate, but his yards per target was only 5.8. Yeah, so I'm talking about the catch good. percentage. He's going to catch okay. the football unless it's yeah. unless it's overthrown or it's not, you know, it's not in a position. He's I think he's been 70, 75% pretty much his whole career in the NFL in the NFL. Yep. You know, so and another thing about him that I think is, and you kind of mentioned it <clears throat> talking about the Bengals game, he has a knack for finding the football in in key or interesting moments. I'm going to name a few. 2021, he's the guy who caught the fumble in the air when Tyson Williams fumbled yep. it for a touchdown against the Chiefs at home. He's also the guy who had the unbelievable catch the against the Bills yep. up the left sideline. It get, oh, There's another one. The next week against the Bengals, one of his jet sweeps that goes down for like a 13-yard gain was a called pass play. The ball gets snapped and hits Duvernay. It bounces. He picks it up. And then runs around the edge. And you can watch the play and you can see pass sets by the offensive linemen. You can see receivers running routes. They're not, it was not a designed jet play. In my research for this segment that we're doing here tonight, I also found that he has five fumbles recovered in his career. Now, who knows really? if any of those I know, I know, right? Now he has two career fumbles, so it's possible that two of those were his own fumbles. So he three other people's fumbles. That's remarkable. Still, I agree totally for a three year player, you know, so there's something about Devin DuVernay and when he was given opportunities last year and and we were, you know, mostly at full health offensively, even though JK was, you know, certainly not healthy earlier in the year, he played fantastic. And that's what I judge him on with this team, with the depth that they have at receiver. I don't see any reason why certain guys can't, you know, be inactive for a week if they're not completely healthy and another guy step up and have an impact. There's enough talent there. The 17 game season for me philosophically is is way different than a 16 game season. Um, it's subversive, only adding one game, in my opinion, from a football coach's standpoint. It's like adding three games. There, there, there's so many players who it's it's going to be exponentially more difficult for them to make it to the end of the season. Uh, I guess we'll never be able to put that back in the box once it's open. No, um, no, the but, genie's out of the bottle. That's that absolutely cannot be reversed. Yeah, I hate it. I hate it, and I'll criticize it every day, you know, until I stop talking on the internet about until football. Until they go to eighteen, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then maybe I'll have enough guts to stand, just stop watching or something, because you know the the risk that they're putting some of these guys at to me is unconscionable. But anyway, Duvernay, to my knowledge, has only had health problems this past year, and you can correct me there if I'm wrong. Um, I think he's going to have an impact. I think he might be the guy that benefits the most from this scheme offensively. Um, you know, if he makes the team, I guess. Okay. A couple more stats here because, because I didn't, I didn't get to finish what I've got here. 
Um, yak per reception is at 4.3. Had a lot of problems on the Ravens with that. And you you typically will get that when you have an Andrews who's a really targeted receiver a lot, who's got defenders draped on him, and that's a problem. A dot of 10. Uh, the drops, he's only got two career drops. Uh, it still, still is remarkable to me uh, yeah. that, 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 uh, that he's in that great shape. Um, but here's the other thing. In addition to this 7.2 yards per target career, which is, that's not exceptionally good. The 8.3 last year was, and I hope that's, I hope Monken can get something close to him like that out of this. He said 8.9 yards per carry as a, as a runner. And it's not a small <laughs> amount. It's 23 runs for 204 yeah. career. I mean, it's, it's a, it's not a tiny amount of, of, of total runs. So he's been a big part of the Roman offense in terms of doing the horizontal stretching of the field. I think, you know, if, if you're right about Monken staying true to horizontal stretching, I would think Duvernay has to be one of the keys to that. You're going to, I think you're absolutely hitting the nail on the head. I think you'll see less motion, horizontal motion with guys like Ricard or, you know, Oliver obviously is gone mm-hmm. and more motion with guys who can threaten the defense immediately to the ball other side hand. of the, with yeah. the ball in their hands. Yeah. So, so we would always say, like, we would tell kids like that motion doesn't matter. And I, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but in a lot of cases, the motion by Ricard didn't matter because there's no threat beyond, you know, outside of the tackle, the guy in motion, if he's not threatening the flats to the other side of the field, we would discount that motion in a lot of ways and say, You're, there's nothing he's motioning over there to do. And Duvernay is one of those guys. A it can be a jet sweep. B, he can catch the ball out in the flats to the other side. C, he can run a wheel route. And look, the the Broncos game in 2021, that guy, Duvernay, beat one-on-one four times Patrick Sertain, who a year later in 2022 was regarded as one of the top three or four corners in the league. Don't tell me Devin Duvernay can't get open and can't beat. He beat he ate Patrick Sertain up on a wheel-sit route. He ate him up on two slants. The guy can play. You know, is he going to – beat out Rashad Bateman, OBJ, Zay Flair. No, he's not, but he can play and augment that group. I think we've got so much talent there, man. It's it's going to be fun to watch, and um, yeah. I look for him to have a good year. I, I, I do too. I mean, he's the, definitely the Ravens' primary deep threat in 22. Um, and, you know, if, if I'm looking at what he needs to do better, which we should probably move on to now because we've been a while on this so far, um, I do want to see some sort of wiggle at the top of the route. And I would even, like uh, – obviously it's very obvious to people in terms of pass rush plan, you know, how, how, how players need to have a move. It's probably less obvious that receivers need a credible secondary route to threaten with in order to be able to get deep or be able to hitch. And, and, you know, Derek Mason, pretty much most of his game was hitch or go. And, and, you know, it's, if, if it was, just a lot of that with Flacco's arms yeah. and the back shoulder throw. It was, it was a very viable combination of things. It would be great if he had the full Bateman set of routes. He's not, I, I don't, I don't think he can pick that up all at once. What he really needs to do is work with a receivers coach. And this is part of developing wide receivers and find how to give that, throw that wiggle on that opposing corner at the top of the stem and, and get to a, a miss from that defensive back that creates separation. I just, if if he could do that, he will be such a dangerous player with the ball in his hands, uh, with the yak that will potentially create if he's moving towards the middle, even on comeback routes, but definitely on go routes, uh, in terms of what he could provide the Ravens. Yeah, I'm really uh, I'm really excited to see him 
get on the field. But now is he going to be on the field for 30 snaps a game? I'm not so sure. You know, there's now, you know, with, with now we're also a little bit um, skewed as Ravens fans in, in thinking about snaps per game, because we utilize time of possession so much in the past, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know how many plays we quote cut off from the game, but some of that was strategic and some of that was very positive. And some people aren't going to like hearing that. Sometimes you have to do so. Very positive. So, so, you know, there's times where it was, it was appropriate and there's times where it was not having said that, if we're going to snap the ball quicker and more often, hopefully we can create another six or eight or, or maybe 10 plays, but generally not 10. And Devin Duvernay can get on the field for 20, 22, 24 snaps a game. It can't be a situation though, when, you know, 20% of the time when Dew's on the field, it's a jet sweep or a bubble out to him. It can't be that predictable. And it won't be because we've got guys. Zay Flowers is great after the catch. I mean, hell, Isaiah likely is not a fun guy for anyone to try to tackle. There's a lot of guys who can catch short passes out in the flat. And it's not going to be as – I don't think anything is going to be as predictable with the offense this year. And it's going to be a, a heck of a challenge for a lot of us to try to analyze and, and understand what's happening. Yeah, you you do a lot of charting in the offense, and I really respect that in terms of the the um, uh, completeness of of how you look at things. A lot of people like look at a few plays and try and draw their conclusions from that. Uh, this is a sport. This is particularly true of the offensive line, where you need to bl- grade every block to come up with really good conclusions about what you're looking at. I, I don't want to see one play. And as much as I respect what Ross Tucker or Baldinger can bring in terms of, of doing exactly that, taking those phone clips right off his TV and right. saying, here's what I love to see about this. That's fine. But you also need to, need to, need to not judge a hitter by the one home run you saw that traveled 440 feet. We need to know about all the strikeouts. We need to know about all the grounded and double plays. We need to know about all of those things. Totally. And, yeah. So anyway, we'll, we'll no, <laughs> no, totally agree. I said that before when we, it's been a long time, you know, it's been months, um, ago and and like i said in a message to you i felt bad for not coming on uh draft night or during the draft season i was extremely busy with a lot of things but you said at one time when you were talking about o-line you said the very same thing that you just mentioned here and, and i agreed with you then i still do like the way i would trust what you grade with offensive linemen because you're grading the same players all season long for every snap and i'm going to be honest with you some of these rating services that people quote all the time i don't trust them because I don't know who's grading, number one. I don't know if it's the same person grading the same team all the time. That so, could be. So, you, so for example, if our right guard has, a tr- has trouble uh, pass proing a three technique who slams a gap, you would know that because you would see that repeatedly during the season. And by week 10, you might say, you know what? He's fixed this problem. You know, so my point is I agree with you totally. You've got to see the totality. Of, of the game and not just one or two plays, but you know, Hey, those videos that people put out that have one play, they're fun, they're fun stuff, you know, and I, I, I need to do more of them because I'm too long winded, you know, to, to do a five minute video at this point. <laughs> I, I, I will say there is a double edged sword. Exactly. What you mentioned is that y- you need to have, um, uh, you can't have 32 different people each doing their own offensive line and then comparing right. league averages to that because you've, you've might have different grading standards. 
Right. So you got to have good review of your people individually, which, you know, I, I really, I honestly think the PFF grading that they're looking at, they basically come to the same conclusions I do. The mm -hmm. thing I don't like is their relative weighting schemes. I think they underweight penalties. I think they overweight run blocking. I, I think, you know, there's, there's a, there's a couple of differences in there. It's just, I would do it differently, but it doesn't mean their model's bad. I, sorry. It doesn't mean that there aren't elements of their model that are good. I would just keep their run blocking and pass blocking separate and, I think that then they're still a very valuable basis to look at differences between linemen across the yeah. league. I do appreciate your kind words nonetheless. Yeah, we used to, uh, now this is a totally different level of, of grading, but we used to look at O-line grades the further we got into a possession. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's high school kids, so you're talking about a 17-year-old who may or may not be a little overweight, if, especially if he's an offensive lineman, no disrespect, but a guy who on the ninth or tenth play of a drive we, he was grading out lower than on the first, second, or third play. And then, then we started to look at it after, you know, after being dumb for two or three years, we started to look at it. Well, wait a minute, that guy's playing D tackle for us too. It's no surprise. Uh, okay. It's no surprise that on the ninth or 10th play of the drive, he's struggling because he just played six snaps on defense. So we started to get real strategic about how many two way you know, players did you have on, on your team that lot? Uh, it, it kind of went in three year cycles. We would normally, um, we would normally have, um, Every three years, you'd have like a, a lot of two-way guys. And then you'd have like a two-year period where you had strategically brought up sophomores one year and, and essentially brought them up maybe a half a year too early. And okay. you gave yourself more depth. And, and the next year when those guys were juniors, you had a lot of two-way guys. By the, the really two best defenses that I was able, able to bless, bless enough to coach, we had um, nine one-way nine one guys on both of them because we strategically brought up players. So, you know, the NFL is obviously different, but I think they would still look at some people need to look at like Ben Cleveland, the eighth play of the drive. I would anticipate it's possible. He may not be as efficient on the first or second play of the drive because conditioning has been an issue for someone like him. That's interesting. I, you know, offensive linemen play every play defensive linemen tend to rotate depending on team. Steelers yep. don't rotate their guys nearly as much as the Ravens do, for example. But so there are differences between teams. But I would think, in general, since the defensive line um, is the position that needs to take the action to win, so I kind of like ties go to the go to the offensive mm -hmm. lineman. If you want to think about that, mm -hmm. I it's you know you hear any defensive lineman talk, anybody who's ever rushed the passer says it's about the most tiring thing to do, play after play, yep. on a football field. And you're talking about seven seconds of energy, absolute effort. Maybe, you know, for defensive linemen, offensive linemen, it's a little less than seven seconds. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm talking about the average play length overall. Those guys got to do that repeatedly with a 30-second break between, 30-second intermission, uh -huh. five, six, seven, eight times. That's And that's the way you got to train players, too. So the, that's the great thing about football, Ken, is that, like, the training for it is so specific. It's vastly different than, like, you know, three minutes of boxing or 45 minutes of running around on a soccer field. It's so unique, and it's so uh, – so special and that's why we're all so passionate about it i um you know i think both of these guys are going to have good seasons if if i was to turn it i would say i think duvernay's probably got a better chance of having a good year than michael pierce all right we'll talk we'll talk about that when we get to pierce here but but let, i i want to ask you first what's the what is the thing you want duvernay to improve i mentioned a little bit of wiggle at the top of the route what would you like to see I'm just not sure you're not wrong. You're absolutely correct in his personal skills, skill development that that would help him, but he just doesn't run a lot of dig routes. He doesn't run. Now he did get a post for a touchdown against the jets. I think he had a post against 
maybe it was the Saints where he was open and but we had already thrown the football. So like he just doesn't run a lot of those routes in our offense previously. I think it'll be really interesting in Munkin's offense to like if anybody who's smart enough to do it, we get to week six or seven, like you know, those route tree graphics that you see sure. from players. I'm interested to see if our route tree by player is more diverse, meaning you're not always getting a post route by Marquis Brown. <laughs> you're not always getting a backside dig route by Rashad Bateman. If, mm-hmm. if, if the roles are reversed more um, in, in Munkin's offense, may, making them, making them less predictable offensively. So yes, I would agree with you that, you know, seeing more diverse routes there at the top by Duvernay would be helpful for his skill development. I'm just not sure that he's going to get all of those, you know, in this offense consistently, he might get one or two a game. Um, he's he's not the speed threat anymore, which is nice. Not the only speed threat. You know, Zay Flowers is yeah. now out there with him. You know, he lined up in the slot, so he did some other things anyway. Because you, you, obviously, you can run a vertical out of the slot, but there's a lot of other routes you, you you need to be able to run out of the slot too. So, I I I think it is a matter if you say he doesn't run a lot of dig routes or he doesn't run a lot of hitch routes. The first, my first reaction to this, and I know you said in this offense, so you're qualifying it in a certain way. But my first question is, why the hell wouldn't he do that? And maybe the reason is that he's really not that good. At, he's a, observably not that good at overselling a go and then coming for a hitch or a dig. And I, 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 I you know, I, I, I don't know where to, where the chicken and egg relationship is, between right, this. Right. you know, he doesn't do it a lot because he's not good at it or he doesn't do it a lot because that's the way the offense is structured. Yeah. He didn't play X a lot for us. I do remember well, that Denver game that I mentioned, he did play, he did line up at X. I, my guess would be 10, 12, 14 times that day. We didn't have Bateman, of course, the first six weeks of the season. And and for whatever reason, Watkins was being shuffled in and out that day. So, um, but yeah, no, no, you're not wrong. I guess I would say I'd like to see him more involved, like in quick stuff, but not always just bubbles where two guys are blocking for him. I'd like to see it like reversed a little bit. Like let's throw the bubble to one of the tight ends and let him go block. Then I love those plays that are the fake bubble and one guy runs you know, fakes like he's going to block and then runs up the sideline. I think we did one of those last year in 2022. I don't remember who it was against. I want to say Jacksonville, but I think Munkin's going to bring that element where something looks like a screen, looks like a screen, but it's a fake screen and go. And to me, Duvernay would be a guy that that would be a, that would be a new thing for him, even though there's no real technique other than making it look like you're blocking and then taking off up the field. I think he'll be used in a diverse way, Ken. I don't think it'll be, um, static. I think Duvernay will be used on jet sweeps. I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the backfield zone. Yeah, I, I I love that. The more the more multiple, the better. One of the issues with the Z receiver in the Raven scheme is that the traditional boot plays that used to be a killer for Joe Flacco and Torrey Smith, and Joe Flacco and other receivers as well. But Joe Flacco and Torrey Smith, Steve McNair and Derek Mason, for that matter, in the year they played together, um, are. are they are completely defended by the fact that Jackson is an exceptionally mobile quarterback. They already every backside edge defender, um, uh, you know, opposite the the boot direction. Yeah, I yeah. know you. I know you know this, but I'm, I'm yeah. trying to tell the people who are on there. I know you know. No, no, no. You're there. good. You're good. So, so when when he boots out right and and the play looks like zone left, zone left. We we, we mark it immediately on the score shot as uh, zone block left naked boot right. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and he, uh, when he boots out that backside edge defender is right on it every time because should be Lamar Jackson, if it's Joe Flacco, he gets away with it. He, he can eat a sandwich back there half yep. the time because, because the, the backside defender just isn't on it. Uh, that's one of the unfortunate things about playing Z receiver in the Ravens offense is you don't get as many of those great opportunities, uh, on a, on a go route, uh, where the quarterback has a lot of times to either pick up a, a PI or or pick up an opportunity against a, a, a single defender on that side. Because you got a safety who's got to make a choice. There's usually a deep cross involved with that in between level two and three mm-hmm. that is that is drawing that safety away. So anyway, I, I, I it's an unfortunate thing, but it's something that honestly Duvernay has had to play with that as a impediment. And it had it didn't hurt Marquise Brown too much, I wouldn't say as a Raven. Um, but it's it is something that uh, that with more mobile quarterbacks, boots are less effective. No, you're you're absolutely right. Like first of all, your explanation of the concept was spot on, and then your your you know detailed you know description of how Lamar's skills impact what might be available for other guys, and that's one of the unfortunate things about the way that football is judged. This for me, that kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier, in that. I feel like it takes someone watching the same team. I'm not smart enough. Me personally, I'm not smart enough to watch one team two or three times and be able to tell you a whole lot about them. I have to watch five or six games before I really feel like I can. And what you just said is the type of thing that I think a lot of non-Ravens fans or people who don't watch a lot of Ravens games wouldn't understand or maybe wouldn't pick up on. Now, maybe it's just lack of football knowledge too, but you know, to, to spin that back towards DuVernay, um, I think we're going to see a completely different passing game this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the boot won't be as predictable. I don't want to get too sidetracked, but when the Ravens were under center and there was one back in the backfield, uh, you're probably talking about play action 70% of the time, maybe more in 2022. NFL teams and defenses knew know that. that. You know, they know that. The D linemen, the edge players like you just described are going to – not go with the run fake as much, uh, particularly if they're reading a block, which they all are. So, so all of your points there are on top of it. I think, I think dude's going to benefit in a lot of ways, uh, mostly from having a more diverse and, and more prepared passing game. I, I love this rabbit hole. So I'm going to ask you another question about this going back to th- four years ago in 2019, Ravens had a great play action game. They, they threw their tight ends all the time, but they did it out of pistol in the Correct. shotgun. And so I, I was not always very impressed, by the way, with with Jackson's fakes because he didn't go he didn't go to the mesh point on those fakes generally out of pistol and then throw play action there. There, in a lot of ways, there might not really be time to do that and and hit a tight end. But like the play just develops more quickly uh, than that. So they really abandoned after about week one. They did it twice, and I think week five they did it once. As firms of going all the way into the mesh point, coming out and throwing the football. One of those happened to be, I think, the 80-yard touchdown to Brown, by the way, in week one, 80-83, whatever it was, the one against Miami. But the, but in general, they didn't do that. But why, in your opinion, is is would they not try and go back to pistol with the little hand-checky fakes that were still effective? They froze yeah. linebackers. Um, why would they not try and go back to that and do that more as opposed to running the bulk of their offense out of sidecar now? Yeah, you can. I mean, f- first of all, you can. Uh, and- the next time that you describe something, I want you to say something stupid because you're you're absolutely on point again, talking about the pistol, talking about the play action being more effective. Now, 
<clears throat> I will say this, the ball is easy to see in the pistol. So if I'm coaching my linebackers and we can see the ball the whole time, that helps us a little bit. Now, having said that, there was a lot of film from 2019 of the play action working brilliantly for the Ravens. It was a slightly quicker version of the play action, which I think you said, you know, where they are throwing over the linebacker level, but the run game was so amazing. You know, you were getting linebackers coached all week to step up. Hey, we have to stop the run. We have to stop the run. Uh, I don't, I have never been a huge fan of the pistol as an offense at all levels, but it was quite effective for us in 2019 and it continues to be effective for people across multiple levels. I feel like the ball is easier to see and not to make excuses for Lamar Jackson. I have never thought that the play action technique out of the pistol was as effective and as, and it didn't hold defenders for as long as it does from, you know, under center. Uh, I forget who the ESPN analyst is. Oh gosh. It's not Marcellus Wiley. I think he's a basketball player, to be honest with you. He talked about – and the word basketball he used – huh? yeah, uh, I can't remember. Kendrick Perkins, maybe. Okay. Maybe maybe it was him. I uh, can't remember exactly. Said the elongation of the play fake when you're under center. It's a longer period of time that the players are put in conflict. That right. can have an impact. The pistol, I would say, is a shorter amount of time that the players are put in contact – in conflict, excuse me. Um, and the option component, I think, also plays a factor there in terms of am I supposed to gap exchange as a linebacker? And I don't know if that's too techie uh, a term there. No, but that's um, <laughs> the, the, uh, let, let, me, let me ask the other point, which I think is, is the Jackson-related point on this. I've always found that Lamar, I've always thought that Lamar had a little more difficulty reacquiring the field after turn your back play action possibly part of what you're talking about about hiding the football is the turn your back component of it and so i'm wondering if there isn't a trade-off there sure you show them you show the linebacker the football a little more and these little hand check fakes aren't much i mean we saw them from joe flacco and nobody correct nobody's really buying it but the but the uh uh on the other hand you know your quarterback who depends on accuracy and also is still a threat to run so he might he might get that linebacker a little bit concerned anyway certainly more than joe did and I, he still maintains his focus on the receiver the entire time. Because during that hand check, he doesn't have to watch the football in his hand going into the receiver's belly or even getting close to the receiver. He, right. he can keep his eye on that tight end that he really wants to hit the entire time. Might give it away. But uh, you know, just I, I, think, I think there is a trade-off there. In terms of turning your back, there's a reacquisition of the field. If you're Peyton Manning, if you're Tom Brady, you probably know exactly where your receiver is going to be by, by rote memory. But if you're Lamar yeah. Jackson, I think you you're you're still working it out. I have you know every year, I'm guilty of it too. Every year, the fans in comment sections or whatever would say, "I want to see us run the the boot more," and I, I agree. You know, I agree, but I never felt like it was as effective out of the pistol. Number one, uh, number two, we didn't boot to our. Of course, you know our quarterback's right-handed, like 83 percent of the population or whatever. Sure. So we didn't boot to our left that much. So really we were booting when the ball was on the left hash and defenses are going to be prepared for that stuff. Hey, it's one back. The ball's on the left hash wide side to the right boot is definitely possible here. Defenses are going to have that level of prepare, actually more than that level of preparation. I, um, I kind of absolved Lamar of some of the, um, the tech technique of the pistol play action. Cause I've never, let me put it to you this way. Pistol play action. I've never seen a quarterback could be good at it. I don't know one. 
other than Lamar 2019? Be good at be good at selling the run fake. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, be good I mean, at selling. But he's, but he's good at the. He was certainly in 2019. He was the production, at, at production, the production, and the effectiveness. Yeah, I've never seen a quarterback who I was like, oh wow, I don't know who has the football for for a certain gotcha. period of time. It was very quick, you know. And and I think I think that that's what the Ravens were going for last year. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I felt like there was a lot more under center play action last year. Look at Bateman's touchdown against the Jets. That was an under center play action uh, touchdown. The I believe one of them. One of the long plays to Deshaun Jackson last year, the one against the Saints that was the fumble forced by Morgan Moses, that was an under center play action play. We were under center more last year to run the play action, which to me was too predictable in and of itself. We won't be predictable this year. I'm quite sure that Munkin will you know, have us be far less predictable and hopefully have solved uh, whatever play action issues we've had last two years, Who, whoever the problem was. I don't think it was Lamar personally. All right, we got to bring it back here to Devin Duvernay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love this conversation. It's just, it's just, we. This is the problem: is we can talk for hours on on various things. Uh, um, I would say, you know, I, I, if I were to pick up one other thing, and it's a fairly minor nit because I think Duvernay is limited by who he is physically in terms of this, but I'd like him to become a little bit better run blocker. I know there's effort there. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, not, I'm not concerned about that. I just, I, I think he needs to improve a little bit technique wise. And it may mean making more sacrifices going low on players, which is usually a losing proposition anyway in level two. The defenders are too quick. They get around that crap too easily. And that's what I always accuse line, linemen of is lunging in level two, mm-hmm. over lunging. Keep your feet. It's the most valuable thing you have as a blocker in a lot of ways if you have feet and length. Um, Duvernay doesn't really have length. So he might have to do some of the things you see a running back do against a, a larger man in terms of going low. Um, and I think that's always going to kind of limit him, but it is an area where I'd like to see some improvement. Yeah, I think I think creating more conflict for the for the defender, for the individual defender, when you do have to block downfield, because I think that's what you're talking about is situations where Duvernay's got a block downfield. Yes. You know, it might be a run play, it might be a screen for someone yes. else. Creating more conflict for the defender allows them to be less aggressive. And, and look, not to be not to bring up old stuff because I don't want to, but there was a lot of stats last year. Part of it was because of injuries. You know, part of it was because of who was available about run pass ratio in certain personnel groups and certain formations. And if you're a defender and you're lined up at five or six yards depth and the ball snapped, you know, there's a 78% chance it's a run play. I mean, you're going to be coming downhill right now. It's going to make it a more difficult block for anyone, particularly a guy like Devin Duvernay, who's not, you know, he's not six foot five, 255 pounds like Mark Andrews. So for me, there is a part of maybe it's because I like Devin Duvernay so much. There's a part of me that is wiping the slate clean for some of our offensive players for certain things because of uh, some of the limitations we had last year, regardless of the reason for what those limitations were. Um, I think I think Duvernay is a guy who I anticipate, you know, if you take his receiving stats from eight games last year and you double them, you're looking at 48 catches, 600 yards, six receiving touchdowns. If you take his punt return stats for the first eight games last year and you double them, if you accept my you know, assertion that he's uh, he was injured the second half of last year. If you double those things, you're talking about 48 catches, 50 catches, 600 yards, six touchdowns, you know, 323 and 30 yards punt return, 16 and a half per per return. That's a damn good football player to have when he's your what, sixth, seventh, eighth best weapon on the offense. 
Yeah, I, I knew there was one stat that I didn't mention from earlier, and this is important. I should have, should have gotten this before. The passer rating throwing to him, and this includes the passes both from Huntley and Jackson, 115.2 last year. Mm. 115.2. You take that quarterback every day and twice on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, three times on Sundays if you could. You'd be playing triple headers. But anyway, you'd, you'd, you'd love to have that. Uh, he uh, uh, was just a, a, a terrific receiver last year. And, and, and part of the, the thing I would say is I, I don't think he needs to double what he did. In fact, I think if, if he could do what he did with Jackson over a full season, mm-hmm. that would be plenty because every year with Hunt, every game with Huntley was worse. Than, if he has 40 catches, if for just a num- numerical standpoint mm-hmm. ne- next year, you know, 40 catches with the group of guys we have is going to be tough to get to. I think so. You know, Let's, with all the guys that are going to get the ball. Let's talk about that in the concept in the context of a good and great season because we got to get this show moving here, buddy. Yeah, man. My uh, good, apologies. Uh, no, no, it's my it's my fault too. I went down all sorts of rabbit holes. Good season for you. What what does it entail? Consistent, you know, ability to be on the field. Uh, I don't think health is a major concern for Devin Duvernay, but I thought he played hurt last year for at least three or four weeks. You know, prior to going out, would would he go out after week? 14 after week 15, I think. Uh, hold on. I'll get to it. I just had it up uh, a second ago. Yeah. He missed the last three games of the season. And, yeah, and he did. Playoff game. I didn't think he looked right for a month before that. So mm-hmm. whatever that time frame was, you know, week, week 11, I guess, you know, so being healthy. And, and I think part and parcel of that is I don't know that we need him to return every punt and every kickoff. I don't. I don't think you always want to rotate guys, but this is a unique offense for as far as the depth we have. Multiple guys can do can do the same thing. Zay Flowers could certainly be used as a guy to return. Now he's your first round draft pick. He's a receiver, so you may not want him to do those things. I get it, but I, I felt like last year, the last month, watching Devin Duvernay return punts and kicks, we were only putting him out there because his name was Devin Duvernay. I did not think he was effective at those things at all the last month of the season. Well, you mentioned it, you know, the number of, of fair catches that were there. So a good season, you know, 40 catches, six, eight touchdowns total, you know, something like that, and a very high yards per touch. Yards per target, what would you – yards per – I like yards per target, but if you mean yards per touch, you might you might mean per run and per pass both. I'm not trying Cor- to do that. Which- correct, correct. Absolutely. But you, you don't, know, you the, don't want to specify a yards per I, I have a yards per target anyway. I'll do it that way. And you, you have a yards per touch. That's cool. I guess, yeah, no, you're not you're not wrong in terms of yards per per target. I would just I would say more so it's the the yard the you know, people call it a dot, I guess. I want to see him targeted more downfield because there is film of him in the first five games last year in the NFL making those plays downfield. Now, even if he doesn't make those plays, I would like for defenses who are preparing for us each week to see, hey, when he's lined up in the slot and Andrews is outside, he will run a go. You know, he will run whatever the vertical concept is. I just want defenses to have less efficiency predicting what we're going to do. And and for me, having a diverse route tree, which is what you were describing earlier, is a part of that for every single receiver. Yeah, that that, that honestly would would be so useful to, to have and and to me the 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 thing is getting safety attention is what comes up in a good season for mm-hmm. me. Uh, I want speed remain. I'll, I'll just read you my bullet points on this. Speed remains useful within Monken's scheme, both in terms of vertical threat and gadget plays. I think we both agree on that one. Mm-hmm. Draws some safety attention. 
Now, I'm going to kind of define it differently and qualitatively for both, but I'm just saying some safety attention in a good season. He cannot be consistently covered by one man. If he does that, that doesn't, he's basically any receiver who that's the only thing they will ever throw at you either has to have a lot of productivity personally on a per play basis, or they, which usually will draw safety attention eventually, or they, they have to create plays for tight ends and Beckham, the guys who aren't as fast, um, but need to make use of space in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. I, I'll say his snaps remain at 450 plus, and I forget what he had last year, but it was it was about 650, I want to say, and he's going to drop because of um, snap share, I believe, but he should gain because of about maybe 10% more snaps, I would think, in the Monk and offense. The problem is that's also going to be about 10% more snaps against the Ravens defensively. As the defensive yeah. line and some of the other positions where yep. they're thin and they rotate, they're going to have a harder time, you know, filling yep. out that total snap count. Um, the other thing is that um, I don't, if he, if he gets 450 snaps, it means he doesn't lose too many to Aguilar. I just did the Nelson Aguilar show. If you haven't listened to it out there, please go ahead and listen to it. It's, it's a negative episode in a lot of ways um, in terms of who I believe Aguilar is. Aguilar had a flush the toilet season at New England. Some of that, and maybe most of it, was due to Mac Jones and you know some weather situations and whatnot. Three years ago, he was a hell of a player for the Las Vegas Raiders with 10.9 yards per target. Last year, 6.8, dropped the ball as much as anybody in the NFL except for one guy. Um, it, all of his advanced metrics are in the bottom quartile pretty much of the National Football League among the receivers with 50-plus targets. And I look at Devin DuVernay, and, and his per-play productivity was tremendous for the Ravens last year. Not only that, he was playing in an offense where you know, you wouldn't really figure him to great, get good opportunities personally because of the other personnel there. Right. So, uh, you know, his you know, productivity, I think, you know, can largely be attributed to him and Lamar Jackson, of course, as well. But it's but uh, the previous year he had Lamar Jackson, he averaged 5.8 yards per target. So I, I honestly, I think the truth might be somewhere in between those mm-hmm. two. And my target for a good season is 7.5 yards per target. Um, no less than that in terms of the regression of his uh, receiving. I think it's likely and, and you mentioned bubble screens may become more of a thing, in which case his um, YPT is going to be reduced by that, those sorts of plays, which are not always by any stretch obvious plays intended to gain a first down. They're more akin to run plays. Yeah, it's just a jab. <laughs> I know you're a boxing guy, so yeah, there you go. it's just a it's just a jab. I like and the def- now the whole the whole evaluation of of offense and even players to some extent is going to be. Uh, a shifting target for all of us that, that like to try to be Ravens analysts because the coverages people have played in the last two or maybe even three years, they're going to change. You know, there there's, there's safeties at 10, 12 yards staring in the backfield. There's corners at seven, eight yards, you know, reading number two or whatever they're reading, playing off coverage. There was areas of the field, the flats to attack immediately and force defenders to come up force them to come up post snap I'm talking about and then create that conflict with what we described earlier, you know, the fake screen and then throwing it up the field or a hitch to the outside and some other concept. I think, I think the coverages people play are going to be more diverse and they're going to challenge all of us to try to understand 
what teams are actually doing because you know last year even before Lamar went out it was just it was just quarters soft coverages uh, forcing you know us to attack the flats or underneath and which we were unwilling to do um, in a lot of cases and uh, that's going to change under Todd Munkin quick because he's I think he's going to show people in the first four or five plays of the game you better defend that area over there right now by alignment meaning by someone standing near that area or we're going to take that five, six yards every time. And if we make a, and if we make you miss a tackle, well, now we've got, you know, that's the whole concept of the spread offense is to make you defend the horizontal width of the field first. And, and then you better be able to tackle people in space. And Duvernay is one of those guys that he, he does make people miss tackles when, when things are blocked well for him. I, I'm more optimistic probably talking with you today over how Monken can impact Jackson. Because one of the things that I don't want to see – is the dangerousness of Lamar Jackson lost in the pocket? Because I, I okay, fewer designed runs, I'm fine with that. You know, you want to have fewer mesh point plays. I still want to have that in the bag of tricks. I still want to have that available with along with Patrick Ricard when the Ravens have a lead. I want to be the Ravens to be able to shorten games. One of the one of the things I don't want to see is the Ravens be that old Oilers team that you know can build a 35 to 3 lead and still manage to lose it. You know, this is a, this is a team that's you know, already had some trouble closing out games last year. Definitely mm-hmm. needs to get back to a team that can pound out first downs pretty much at will um, when they need to. Uh, so I want that in the bag of tricks. But the horizontal spreading of the field, if that's really part of the Monken offense, then Lamar should still be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details very dangerous from the pocket and a lot of ways it limits the need to have a check down receiver. I'm not saying you can't do kind of a design check down once in a while, mm-hmm. but you don't need to have a check down receiver that that running back can also be doing things for you, either blocking, running some other route down the field that is not necessarily expected running a flat route, but doing something that takes defenders out of that uh, immediate box area where they're a threat to tackle Jackson and it gives Lamar the real chance to make people miss and, and, and pick up some yards. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad I can be uh, encouraging for you about it. I just, um, I just know from my own knowledge of football began right around the time that the spread offense really started to hit, mm-hmm. you know, all across the nation high school from a high school standpoint, it was already in college, you know, um, and even my, as a young person, experience approach to football, our high school was a run and shoot team. Are, so, are you too young to remember the the the, uh, the Oilers' incredible blown lead against the Bills? Did you no, the Buff- no, for two reasons. The Buffalo Bills were my favorite team at the time. Okay. And I vividly remember where I was and, and what my reactions were to every part of that game, number one. All right, good. And number two – 
No, because Kevin Gilbride was part of the staff with Houston. And um, he actually came to our school in high school for a weekend and taught the run and shoot to our high school coaches who used it to, you know, set multiple records. Uh, So the run and shoot was the spread before the spread, Mm -hmm. you know, and and we ran it. And I remember watching games and uh, we ran it with four receivers, you know, so four wide receivers and one running back. And, um, you know, our running back ran for 2000 yards and our quarterback completed 77% of his passes. So, you know, that's, that's tremendous balance. And now we're going to, we're going to, we're going to be spreading the field horizontally more and forcing people to defend areas of the field that they've kind of ceded to us or used as bait before, in my opinion. And, um, and we're going to actually, I think, take that bait more often and set them up. All right. Now, uh, so we're through good. Go back to Devin DuVernay now for a minute. Talk about what a great season would entail. And we'll move on and do Michael Pierce. Well, to be honest with you, I think that a great season starts with him being available for special teams as much as possible and being Devin DuVernay on punt returns and kick returns. I just posted something on Twitter tonight, um, Friday night, that about our wall punt return and how effective he is at it. And uh, – I think him being there and dangerous is going to happen if he's healthy. If he's healthy, he's going to be dangerous on punt return and kick return. Now, his impact on offense, I, th- I still think a great season might be fo- only 40 catches, but I think instead of four or six touchdowns, instead of four touchdowns or five or whatever, it might be six or seven. Because look at look at the touchdown, the first one to the against the Jets in week one last year and the one against the Patriots in week three. He has the weaker coverage matchup. That's why Lamar went to him in those situations because he had the weaker coverage guy on him. And now whatever pecking order you want to, you know, apply to that situation, he might even get a better matchup depending on who's on the field. Um, Whether it's two tight ends or one tight end, we're going to have guys on the field that are going to force defenses to really pay attention to them. And it's not as simple as, oh, he's going to get single coverage. But in those two examples I just gave, he had single coverage, and he beat the guy that was guarding him. I think I think less catches and more touchdowns might be something that happens. Okay. All right. Well, that's fair enough. I'll, uh, I'll go through what I've got here. I, 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 want, I'm, I think I'm focused more on the broader set of first and second reads. And this might actually impact mm-hmm. Duvernay less than some other players, but it's still important to get away from the – Mark Andrews, to get away to, from Odell Beckham. He may even develop a connection with Zay Flowers. I certainly hope he does, where Flowers is a guy who looks at first. And to get the other guys involved in the offense, the other guys who are on the field some of the time, they probably need to have some good first and second read players that just go elsewhere. Show it to the defense. Mm-hmm. Renee excel in it. Um, you know, there's already the gadget plays he has, and he's got he's to continue with that stuff. I think he has, he has to have a stronger connection with Jackson. Oh, he, last year, he took major strides in terms of his connection with Jackson and the trust level they have between them because he was so effective at actually catching the football. Yep. And that's, that's something that, uh, you know, and I'd say continues as the asset in the return game and generates 8.0 plus per uh, tar- yards per target on 50 plus targets. So if it were the minimum of both those categories, it, it's a 400 yard season. Yeah. I think uh, it, it, it could easily be a 500 yard season. It could not easily because I'm already saying this is the this is the 80th percentile result, but he could have a 500 yard season given that these uh, yeah. you know conditions are met. And that'd be very exciting. 50 targets, 
you know, 70, 75% completion percentage. You're talking about between 35 and, and 37 catches or 30, 30, 38 catches, you know, in a season. That's right in line with what I said. I guess I should have added a great season also would be uh, a little bit more impact in the run game, whether that's on jet sweeps, which he was effective at. I, mm-hmm. I would have liked to have seen him used more, to be honest with you. And I mean, in the backfield, I mean, what would look at some of the stuff? I'll you know make this brief, but the the Lions out of eleven personnel, they use Iman Ross St. Brown. They'll put him in the backfield with another running back, and and they they'll hand the ball off to him, or they'll throw it to him out of the backfield. They're basically forcing someone else to cover him who really shouldn't be covering him on first or second down. You know, could Duvernay do that? Could we do that with Duvernay thirty times next season? No. It's a 17-game season. You know, could we do it 15, 18, 20 times? Yes, absolutely. One, one more um, you know, mental process for the defender to have to go through, whether it's a linebacker, edge player, whatever, is, is going to be the whole key every play. And I think Todd Munkin, hopefully, if he's the guy I think he is from watching Georgia and other film, he's going to be a guy who adds – elements and layers to the offense as the season goes on. And I'm, that's a very Roman thing to do uh, I think, you know, yep. in terms of that. And he had to, because the run game, you know, really it, it was so much dependent upon horizontal and not vertical stretching of the mm-hmm. field that he had to get more complex as it went on. Munkin maybe could rely on his, on his starting playbook to start with, but agree with your comment entirely with the show it to the opponent one or two times per game. And you, the way you're talking about if it, if might've been one and a quarter, times per game that they're that they're lining up with Duvernay in the backfield the right. nice thing about that is when there is um advanced scouting they typically go back four ball games to find out what are you really trying to do concept wise and if you show them that that's another thing they got to write up and damn it it's more work and more complexity to how they have to build their defensive game plan no I, I, absolutely I love that. Absolutely. Sorry to interrupt you. I'm I'm totally in line with that. Of course, nowhere near this level, but I will tell you, I've seen three people in my lifetime that I we prepared for a certain things. Mm-hmm. And then we got to the game and we didn't see those things. And and not not things that we had seen, you know, 60 times a game on film. I'm talking about something we had seen, you know, 15, 18, 20 times a game on film. So we we're like, this is a large percent of what they're doing. We would generally divide it by 50 and say, if it's 20 snaps a game, that's 40% of their offense. We need to prepare for this. And these three guys, I'm not going to name their names, but they, uh, you know, great coaches and I respect them, but a part of me really dislikes them because I was like the hours and the time that we put into preparing for those things. And then you didn't even show them that, that, that feeling lasts with you. If you're running a defense and Munkin Munkin can play both sides of that coin. I didn't show this for two weeks. I'm going to show it this week. Yeah. But then, but then the, the following guy, he's got to prepare for it and then I'm not going to show it. So, and then we beat your ass too. And then now, now as a defensive coordinator, you're like, Oh, I gave up 35 and he didn't run those six or seven things I spent time preparing for. I'm, <laughs> I'm super excited. Obviously you can, guys can tell from, from, you know, what I think the offense is going to be capable of. All right, let's move on. We got to be much quicker with Michael Pierce. Sorry to keep hustling you up here, coach, but we got, we got to do this here. You're so good, man. We'll, we'll move on. Michael Pierce entering his eighth season. I'll set this up a little bit. We'll be a UF, UFA after this year. He's got void years at the end of this year's contract, as several other players do, Aguilar and Beckham most notably. There might be another, but but uh, obviously the Ravens are going to have some rebuilding to do after this year. And it's not that Michael Pierce couldn't be a player they re-sign. Uh, he could very well be a right player, right price 
defensive mm-hmm. lineman, given that old Travis Jones, is the only guy signed for 2024 so far. So uh, I, I think you're probably going to echo this, but, but Michael Pierce health is perhaps the most important factor for him. He's only played 11 games over the past three seasons, 342 snaps since he left his uh, left Baltimore. Uh, and, and that includes 91 after his return to Baltimore, but um, that's not enough. Not enough. And and, th- and I'll be honest with you up front. My, uh, my analysis here of Michael Pierce is going to be way less data-driven. So from your standpoint, it might save you as far as time. <laughs> but I'm, I'm way less inclined to bet on Michael Pierce in 2023 than I am Devin DuVernay. Now, having said that, that's even though my gut, based on some of the film I've seen, my gut wants to bet on him. I'm going to be honest with you. Even, you know, he's clearly talented. I think of, mm-hmm. I think of one play against the Jets, and I think one play the next week against the Dolphins, where I saw like explosiveness off the snap, a jarring strength, you know, when getting his hands on someone, and then the ability to redirect with speed. I don't, I don't know that we have a D tackle. The only other guy I feel like at athletically that is as impressive would be Matabike. I'm talking about a surge off the snap and then ability to redirect somewhere else. But even Matabike, I haven't seen it the way that I'm talking about the force fumble he had against the jets. Mm-hmm. And there's one play against the dolphins. I forget, I forget where, what the play was. I think it was a run play away from him. Um, I want to bet on him. I do. Yeah. Uh, but the lack of avail- availability is a real question. Like you said, they do have tremendous depth at that position though. I am less worried about D tackle. If, Michael Pierce is healthy than a lot of other people are. I want to I want to talk about depth a little bit as we continue on there. It is it is a concern I have, but most of it is due to the paper thin nature. They've got quality. I agree with that in terms of the, the players they have there. I guess I understand why they why they had to let Calais Campbell go, both in terms of the um uh Lamar Jackson possibly staying on the tag. Right. Right. And, and all the dollars that would have to be spent. And maybe I understand the void year contracts from that perspective. What I don't understand, okay, I do understand it. I don't like it, is giving Beckham Calais Campbell's dollars. I'd right. rather I'd rather had Calais and take our chances with the with what it is. And Calais plus nine million is really what it would have been uh, to to uh, to do that. Anyway, we'll stay with Michael Pierce here. Still one of the most exceptional run defenders in the game. Does mm-hmm. it a lot of different ways. Uh, Michael Pierce has been a traditional nose his whole career. The relationship with Travis Jones, I think, is going to be one of the most interesting this year. Travis Jones apparently has been quoted as saying he really wants to play nose tackle. Michael Pierce came into this league, and the Ravens did something extraordinary. First of all, they they took Michael Pierce as an undrafted free agent, and they they had already figured out, I think, that they wanted to. But they moved Brandon Williams, one of the best nose tackles in the game at the time, to three tech to accommodate them both being on the field at the same time. Yeah. So the big thing I want to talk about with you is, do you see that as a good possibility for this year in terms of developing either of them or both of them into either versatile or one way be a one three combo? Yeah, I think this is not going to be probably the answer that a lot of people want to hear. From my observation, the D tackles in the NFL are mostly interchangeable. Now, there are plenty of times where we line up a certain way, but 
particularly with these teams, <laughs> I would like to curse them. <laughs> I'm going to try not to. These teams that line up the tight end, you know, off the line of scrimmage, and then he motions from one side to the other consistently. We're, we're setting our three technique to the tight end, and then he's motioning to the other side. Most often, you're seeing the D tackles exchange those roles. Now that's a little they bit of a simple, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit of a simplistic answer, but you see it a lot. Now I don't know, you know, what the percentage is. We don't get data like that, and I certainly don't track it. But Pierce, to me, looks like a guy who can play both. I don't see a reason why Travis Jones can't. I have probably thirty Travis Jones plays saved up to do a video on. I just haven't had the time to get to it. And I will tell you this: I felt like Travis Jones was really good against the run. This is a rough estimate, you know, 60, 70% of the plays. I did see a third of the plays where I was not, I was like, whoa, that did not look good against the run. Um, against the pass, he's, you know, he can be a force. And Pierce, he's, he's a little less explosive than Pierce, I guess I would say. But he's a whale of a player for being a second-year guy. Really, really unique player for the Ravens to be able to get in the third round. I think I have probably a slightly different viewpoint than that. Respect your your judgment on that in terms of explosiveness. Pierce, great pad level, as as always, yes. been able to get underneath that opponent. Um, I don't think we've ever seen from Pierce a penetrating ability. I think he basically does it with brute strength, pad level, bull rush. Very little swimming mm-hmm. past an opposing defender. And that's where I think Travis Jones can make his living in the NFL. And he, he is, uh, he's unbelievably strong for this early in his career. I think he will get stronger because that's the nature of most NFL weight rooms. And your, your, your initial couple of years as defensive or offensive lineman is usually spent improving your strength terrifically. And I think he, he, he certainly could get bigger, but he's very quick. And he's, he's got an ability to get by, use strength well, one of the points Brent Urban was on the show. The point he made was that Travis Jones is the kind of player. Actually, said he had seen him do it. I asked. Okay, I'll, I'll set the whole thing up so people understand. I asked. I asked him when you cross the face of a guard to go into the center, do you typically go in with one arm or two? And I said, mm-hmm. you know, I know centers have shorter arms, so are you really trying to unbalance that guy? And he said, I have to go in with two arms. And that's fine. I mean, his length, he's still going to be much longer than most centers in terms of being able to get his arms and before the center can make any initial contact with him. But he said he had seen Travis Jones do that one-arm maneuver, but he doesn't think many linemen can do it. And that, that to me was very impressive in terms of, of what he could bring to the table. If he's a three in that position, gives him many more opportunities. You can, you can do a lot of things, but crossing the face of a guard from that three tech, being able to hit that center, who's got to have some, probably some length issues because most centers do and, and probably some size issues because that's where you tend to have your typically your smallest offensive lineman. Travis Jones could be a nightmare for that guy. If he gets a running start. Yeah. He also, to me against the pass, he has a little bit more moves than a lot of other young D tackles. He's got a lot of, I think you kind of alluded to it with, with Pierce, you were saying, you know, he's a little bit more just reliant on strength and and Jones is certainly strong too. I saw two reps last year where he like it was third down, I think. So, you know, he knew that it was a pass play most likely, but he had, he had his move set up, you know, so he's, he's a unique guy as far as rushing the passer from a D tackle position. I suspect that he'll be on the field um, often, 
in passing situations. I don't, you know, we'll, we'll have times where we put mostly our rush group out there um, and, and, and Bowser or Owe will move inside or whatever. But uh, I think, I think Pierce is a, is a potentially dominant player. I don't think we need him 45, 50 snaps a game. If it was me, I would advocate for limiting his exposure because of the injury history and because of a 17 game season, you know, 40 snaps a game somewhere around there. I don't know that he can. I don't think that Pierce seems like a guy who can play at 80, 85%. I, I firmly believe 2021 Calais Campbell played for about four or five games where most other NFL players would not have played. He looked less athletic, less explosive. And, and, and more cat always. So. And more stiff, you know, and, and there's just not too many Calais Campbells walking around. He's like George Foreman. You know, he could win a heavyweight title at age 45. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like Pierce. I, I think that, you know, I have no say clearly, but I, I would advocate for limiting his snap count early. Let's get him through six or seven or eight games. Let's see what we're getting out of him and let's not ride him too much. Not that his injuries have been, you know, usage related, but Travis Jones is in the second year. Justin Matabike is in his fourth year. Broderick Washington's in his fourth year. Michael Pierce is in what is eighth or ninth year, you said? Mm-hmm. Michael Pierce is in is in year eight. So he's played six seasons, missed an entire season. This will be number eight. Yep. Yeah. I, f- I feel like utilizing him strategically, there was a trim- there's a lot of salary tied up in him. I don't know what the number is, but um, y- you know, you're going to use him because he's a very good player. I think the Ravens defense, unfortunately for Michael Pierce, he gets kind of lumped into the defense in the first two or three weeks of the year. The you know, the balloon the balloon lead against the Dolphins obviously was huge. But so many other guys came back that were, you know, played a role in the Ravens defense figuring things out. Marcus Peters came back. He didn't have a Marcus Peters season, obviously. He didn't have a single interception, but Tyus Bowser came back. We traded for Roquan Smith. Kyle Hamilton. Think of Kyle Hamilton the first four weeks compared to slot corner and was great. Yeah. Totally different. So the defense got better. So I think some of us, probably myself included, we kind of lump Michael Pierce in with that questionable defense of early in the season as opposed to what it became by the end of the year. I mean, it's not unfair because Michael Pierce's availability has been such a problem uh, the last three years. Michael Pierce was a consistent 500 snap defender in his time with the Ravens the first time around. Played 375 his very first year as an undrafted free agent. That's really high. By the way, Jones played about 30% of snaps. Let me get that. 30.4% of snaps that were not penalties last year um and that would have been not quite at the level well not really nearly at the level that michael pierce played as a rookie in 2016 so it's a uh michael pierce clearly has not been an iron man these last three years he's had a lot of problems staying on the field what i like about his play is that his overall level of play really has not dropped off when he's been healthy he's been pretty much that same great run defender and effective pass rusher he's always been uh, I, I I don't think we've seen a drop off in play because of injury, which is really right, tough. right, yeah. right. I I agree, and I think I think he's a guy that, as a coach, someone could say, "Hey, look, Michael, in the first six weeks of the season, where where our plan is, thirty, thirty five, maybe forty snaps a game, because we want you here in week seventeen. Those are the types of things that a position coach can say. You know, maybe a head coach can't." 
and you certainly can't allude to in the, in the media. And, and, you know, we'll never know about those conversations at all unless players detail them. I just oh, will see the actual snaps and rotations. So we'll know. <laughs> right. I just, I just feel like it, it stands to reason that with, I think they do have depth there, Matabike Jones and Washington and, Brent Urban is a different player. He's a little bit more of a of a five technique, four eye, three technique at times. Whereas you know, whereas Pierce and Jones are like you said, nose tackle, three technique, exclusively guys. Yep. And and even Matabike to a certain extent. But there was times where Matabike played outside of the tackle and just was an ass kicker last year. Uh, I, 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 I want to talk about that briefly because Matabike is one of the big fears about snap count in this in this defense. He's he's played. He played too much last year. He played 59% of the snaps, led all the defensive linemen. And, you know, the Ravens play rotationally. If you look at Matabike and he, the games where he played, fewer snaps were generally more effective. And also he wore down in the second half of the season and was less effective. Those two things combined tell me reduce his snap count. I think he'd be a much better play at 47%. And one of the reasons I want to see this 1-3 combo I'm talking about so much is that if those guys are in there at nose and three, then you're going to give Matabike off more time on first and second down mm-hmm. and, and, and keep him fresh for the pass rush downs where you really need him. Yeah. And, and I think, too, too, he's a guy who – both him and Broderick Washington are a guy who, for me – I've seen technique improvements in the last two years. I think about Broderick Washington's game against the board. Yeah, Broderick Washington's game against the Bengals in Cincinnati. And I guess it would be late 2021 when we went up there with, you know, obviously a really compromised defensive backfield. But him and even Mac, I forget which one of the Macs it was, you know, they looked really good at D tackle. Broderick Washington to me, got better during 2021 and then 2022. I think he had a really underrated season. It's Look, it's a blessing, I think, in some ways that Pierce missed time last year. I wish he didn't miss so much time. But Washington and Matabike got a lot of snaps that maybe they wouldn't otherwise have gotten if Campbell and Pierce were there every day completely healthy. Those guys are going to get most of the snaps. Yeah, and now And now those guys have hopefully developed a little more and and when Pierce comes back, he better he better be really seriously motivated because his NFL career, how much money he makes beyond this year, is kind of on the line. Similar to Matabike and Washington being four fear players, you know, wanting to get an extension or, you know, or a big contract somewhere else. Yeah, it's, there's no doubt from a franchise building perspective, I really like what happened with Washington even more than Matabike. I I I think Matabike the other other teams may have gotten a, a peek under the hood of some of the snap count limitations, which may actually limit the contract value you can have. That, that'll all be erased. If he has a eight sack season this year, nobody's going to give a crap. Mm-hmm. He's going to get a huge contract. But if in the case of Washington, first of all, he batted down six passes. I mean, mm-hmm. a very balanced contribution, run and pass, did a little bit of good pocket compression. But what's nice about it is, the Ravens have an idea before year four has started of who that guy is. They mm-hmm. still have time with Lamar signed to make a right player, right place extension, right price extension mm-hmm. on one of these two guys. Agreed. Not both, but one. Yeah. 
I totally agree. I said that, you know, personally me, it's Matt Abike, but I would, I would understand if someone chose Washington. I'm, but it won't I be the think, same price, right? So it's, so it's a question of, do you exactly, want, do you want exactly. you know, three years at, at, at 10.5 million for, for Washington, or maybe it's higher than that. I'm just going to give you, yeah, yeah, who knows? or three years at, at 25 million for Matt Abike. Yeah, no doubt. It, it makes sense. And I've said the same thing about other players. I'm trying to recall, Oh, I did a video on I'm in the Ross St. Brown recently on YouTube, and I said the same thing about him. I was like, hey, uh, 90 catches in year one, 106 catches in year two. What's the price tag after this year if he gives you another 100-catch season? What's the price tag? Like, sign the dude now. So, same thing applies for Matabike or Washington. I think it would just be smart to to go get one of them mm-hmm. and, and you know, for another two years or maybe three, like you said. It's especially given that, you know, Jones is young, but Brent Urban's not. Mm-hmm. Michael Pierce, if we get a, a 14, 15, 16 game season out of Michael Pierce, I hate to say this, but what are the chances that we get the same thing again in 2024 if we bring him I, back? I think I'm not even low. worried about that. I'm worried about market value pricing if Pierce plays 15, 16 games. He'll be, if, if he plays 15, 16 games at the level he's played while on the field the last few years, he's, he's a big money contract again. He prices maybe, himself out of Baltimore. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. If, if, he plays, if he plays eight games you know, and, and plays at the same level. And now he's got a four year track record of basically being on the field for only 19 games. Then I think that a lot of teams will, will say thanks, but no thanks. And the Ravens may have an opportunity to make Michael Pierce kind of one of these just over the vet men guys. But that's the problem is Brent Urban, you'll be able to sign him next year. If you want to, if he, yep. if he, if he stays healthy and whatnot, he, he basically will be back here with the Ravens at a vet men contract. Again, Pierce, if there's a question of him making 3 million here or 4 million somewhere else, he may be, he may be drawn to the money. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you can yeah, never blame, you can never blame those guys. I just, uh, I was just talking about Robert Spillane, the linebacker that the Steelers had that signed with the Raiders. Like I just assumed he would be back there. I was like, you know, the guy's a pain in our butt. He always plays well against the Ravens. I'm like so glad that the guy got out of our division. Cause he's just one of those guys that always has eight or 10 tackles against us. And for me, you know, some of the, some of the guys we're talking about, I think, can be the same thing against other AFC North teams, particularly Matabike and Washington. Those guys can play. The the batted passes that you talk about with Broderick Washington, Matabike against the run, against zone concepts, he's a badass against zone concepts, whether it's to him or away from him. And uh, I hope Michael Pierce comes in here and, and sees that and is like, hey, those two, they balled out last year. And we've got Travis Jones. I need to – I need to be here. I need to be available and I need to be ready to go from day one so that, you know, those guys don't take my job. The NFL has a short memory on what you've done. Like if, if Pierce isn't clearly our best or second best guy through a month of the season, you know, depending on what the salary is, you never know what teams do in this day and age. So I hope he's motivated, totally healthy, which, you know, I suspect he is and uh, ready to rock and roll from day one. Cause he yeah. could, he's going to have a huge impact. Yeah, he'll be he'll be active certainly as long as he's available this year. I don't mm-hmm. think there's a question about that, but uh, but there is a real question about his NFL future if he if he uh, can't yep. stay on the field this year. Let's let's jump right in. I, I did two other stats I want to mention for Pierce before we before we jump into a good and great season. The first is the guy has still only been penalized four times in 71 career games, so that's wow. a remarkable rate of of not getting. And you know, inside guys, and he's a guy with a pretty good get off. You know, still to not jump off sides, you know, more than that is is unusual. 
he's a guy with the kind of strength he has who could be you know Casey Hampton was kind of the master of doing this and getting away with it a lot but still being mm-hmm. flagged for those defensive holding calls when he's grabbing onto two offensive linemen's jerseys mm-hmm. at the same time you know Pierce is a guy who could be you know could have been uh falling victim to that but he hasn't and uh, you know hands to the face all the other things I mean that's hard to avoid penalties at that rate the other thing is these only missed nine career tackles per PFF. PFF is pretty damn harsh on mm-hmm. missed tackles. PFR, on the other hand, is pretty easy on missed tackles. They'll give you a lower number, as usually that's the case. I think actually in this case, PFR had him for one more missed tackle <laughs> over the last several years, which is unusual. I almost When I look at both, I, I usually see that they have a, have a difference there. But in any case... Nine missed tackles, or or eight, or ten, or whatever right. it is, a five percent missed tackle rate um, is really good, even for a defensive lineman. And and those guys are not easy to replace. And in in Pierce's places, uh, uh, case in particular, I think he's really all also been an excellent pursuit player for his yes. size. Y- yes. Oh my God. Yes. That, no. I, that's one of the things that I had written on my notes here. I kind of went away from him, but no, no doubt. I saw film of him from week one of 2021. I guess it would be the, the first game he played with the Vikings. They played the Bengals. Mm-hmm. He had two sacks, two TFLs, two other quarterback hits. He had seven tackles. He was like utterly dominant. And I think he only played 43 snaps that day. But 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 I, I don't have that information in front of me right now. My point is, I totally agree with you. He was able to pursue from a D-tackle standpoint. And, like, look, those D-tackles that pursue from inside out, if they catch you on a cutback, that's a different type of hit. Look at the fumble he forced yeah. against the Jets. You know, that the impact that he brings. Uh, man, if he's healthy and available – he uh he's a force multiplier for the Ravens defense if he's there because he's a legit run stopper in my opinion. Yeah, he's he's uh he's one of the best still, and that's the thing. You know, the other thing I love in terms of pursuit from defensive linemen is if there's any kind of juke happening in front of a linebacker, in front of a safety, and it's six or eight yards down the field, that's a fumble waiting to happen. If a defensive mm-hmm. lineman catches you from behind, I just mm-hmm. I, I I love to see that kind of hustle and the opportunity to have those second man plays. There and and I have said for a couple of years that one of the things about the Ravens defense that's been less consistent has been our ability to defend the run game out of eleven personnel. If you look at what the Steelers did to us in Baltimore, a lot of a lot of the time we were in our nickel defense, so four down linemen or you know two outside linebackers, two D tackles, whatever you want to call it, four two five nickel defense, mm-hmm. and we had trouble defending the run game from that. That's- Your defense your defensive tackles that, you know, can be physically dominant against, you know, either single blocks or combo blocks like, like Pierce can, you know, they can really impact the offense's ability to call those plays in the first place. It's not just their ability to stop that play. It's their ability to take that away from the offensive coordinator as an option anyway. Now it's, it's interesting you say that, and I don't disagree in basically the last year and having pretty much the Patrick queen era, that they've had difficulty now with Roquan Smith. I think it's, I think it's really already reversing itself, but the absolute hallmark of the history of Ravens defense has been able, the ability to stop the run consistently when the Mm -hmm. other teams in 11 personnel and you, you, you sacrifice a man in the box. You always have six, you playing five defenders and they've gotten some contributions from that slot corner. They've got some contributions from safety, but basically 
you think about the quality they've had at each level of that. Think the outside linebackers, well, they had Terrell Suggs for the bulk of that time in Ravens history. They had a Lodi Nada for a large part of that time. When they didn't have a Lodi Nada, they had other incredible space eaters on the inside from Adams and Siragusa to, to, to Nada to Kelly Gregg to uh, other players. Uh, they had Jarrett Johnson manning the other side, and then they always had great in, inside linebackers. But that is, if, if I had to pick one single characteristic in the history of Ravens defense has been a common thread, it's the ability to stop the run when the other team's in 11. Yep, no doubt. And we got chewed up by the Steelers twice in the past two years in that situation. Not just the run. It's it's the run-pass conflict. Mm-hmm. The game in Pittsburgh 2021, which I think was the last time we played against Ben Roethlisberger, I believe we lost 20 to 19. They I call it 11 personnel hell. You know, they basically went 11 personnel, stayed in 11 personnel for most of the second half and chewed us up. And they did the same. It was a game in Baltimore in 20. 20, 2021, Ben okay. Roethlisberger's last game against us, I believe. Uh, maybe I'm yeah. misremembering the years at this point. But I think that was the 2019 game where we um, had the two-point conversion, failed two-point conversion to end the game. Um, all I know is I have the possession saved on my computer, and occasionally I look at it because I'm, you know, in all defensive coordinators' minds, you're like, how do I stop the run and the pass from my nickel front if, if the other team can find a way to insert, you know, a seventh blocker in there, you got, you know, your five offensive linemen, a tight end, H back, whatever you want to call them. And then maybe another receiver or, or, you know, the, the receiver, uh, the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh receivers had two this past year. I didn't even know whether they were tight ends or receivers at the time. So maybe it was 12 personnel, but in any case, the Ravens were nickel to defend it because Kyle Hamilton was on the field, you know, and to me, Michael Pierce being available is a big part of, just planting a seed in the offensive coordinator's mind that, hey, you're not going to be able to get five yards, four yards even maybe on that run concept. So you're, what you think is going to be second and five is really going to be second and eight. And now our nickel defense looks, you know, is even more prepared for that situation because we're, we're stronger against the pass. Right. Great stuff, Coach. Just love talking about this with you. Let's, let's tie it up with Michael Pierce. What's a good season for him from your perspective? Being available 14 games plus. With, with with the two or three games uh, missed being intermittently during the season and not three in a row at the end of the year, you know, the last three games of the season. And then he, uh, then he missed the playoffs. Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. And then I also think that his um, his impact might not be judged accurately from a statistical standpoint because I think there's plays where he went – Matabike is the same way. There's plays where he wins on the front side. And so that that zone or that stretch concept gets turned inside. It Essentially, show up as a tackle. You're saying somebody else ex- gets credit. Yeah, exactly. And it makes the inside linebackers move shorter. And additionally, if the inside linebacker has an offensive lineman climbing up to him, there's less horizontal stretch before the inside linebacker has to make that decision. And we would always say, if I have to make that decision right now at a 45 degree angle or less. You know, then I can make the I can I can run into a guy who weighs sixty pounds more than me, and I can condense that gap. But if that has to happen after I've made horizontal run, I have less balance to to deal with that um, that differential in weight, in strength, in size. Yeah. And uh, so those guys who can, those D tackles who can win on the front side, I feel like they make it less of a choice for the running back. They kind of force you to declare earlier, and our linebackers, you know, can can just fill downhill right now. Yeah, de- definitely agree with that, by the way. The, the, what I call the concept, you could call it denying space. You can call it bifurcating 
the the field for that running back to to, mm-hmm. to make him make a choice. It, it, a lot of it, uh, you know, results in a bubble where the running back needs to run around somebody. Usually mm-hmm. in, involves pursuit and the run down that way. But all basically penetration, which causes any sort of a stop or slowdown of that running back. 90% of it anyway is good. There, there is some cutbacks and zone runs, you know, th- that are, that are planned anyway are kind of the big exception to it. But generally speaking, you get in the backfield where the running back didn't completely expect it. It's a good thing. Yeah, no, I agree. It, and, and we, we even had times last year where our, our outside linebacker D end, you know, edge player, whatever was holding the outside gap, which is, you know, the gap he's responsible for, but it's like, it's like the run plays never coming out there. You know, we've got to figure something else out. There's a technique that, you know, against high level offensive linemen and tight ends, it's not going to work all the time, but you know, we've used it at the high school level and we got it from a college coach who's amazing. So it's like, you know, you get base blocked and then you dive inside, let, let the guy fold, let the linebacker fold over the top of you. Uh, it's essentially a gap exchange, but only after a base block. Now the, 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 run, the linebacker is not going to see a base block because he's, you know, he's looking at the running back or he's looking at the interior lineman. So he's not seeing the tight end base or just try to turn out the, the defensive end or outside linebacker, but he's going to naturally adjust to the running back flow. We never really did a lot of that last year, but we didn't need to because we didn't have a ton of trouble with 11 personnel run game. I didn't think until the Steelers the game in Baltimore that they beat us. And then look, even though I think the world of how we played against the Bengals defense, the fact remains they ran the ball well against us at times out of 11 personnel, even though their, their rushing stats for the wildcard game were terrible. They had a couple of possessions where they ran the ball effectively out of 11 personnel. And, and again, you know, I think Michael Pierce is a part of that being a, a dominant physical guy with, you know, a Jones, a Matabike, you know, a wash. I think Washington's less physically dominant than those three, those other three. Right. Uh, and Pierce being available to use in that rotation basically means we have one or two really uh, unique, powerful athletes on the interior, on, on the field, on every snap. So a good season being available and just in the rotation and being, you know, a demon for interior offensive linemen to have to deal with, you know, consistently. Okay, that's that's good. I, I set the bar a little bit lower on a good season, just judging where he's been the last three. I said 12-plus games, uh, which would exceed his total for the previous three seasons. Remains a plus-plus run defender. And when I say plus-plus, I mean on a scale of three pluses to three minuses. Mm-hmm. He's he's at least a plus-plus right now. He might be a triple-plus player. He's one of the, the truly elite run defenders. But I'm saying he has to be at least, a, at least two-plus, at least most of that still. Uh, you know, after after not very, playing very much the last three years, yeah. Um, I think the the one three with Jones has to be effective with him to reduce snaps from out of BK. If it 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 doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be unbelievably good, but it just has to be an opportunity to get Matabike off the field and increase his effectiveness on passing downs. Cause I think he's, he's really suffered from that. And I don't think I, I could be wrong. I'd love to be proved wrong and to have Matabike come in and all of a sudden he's playing 62% of the snaps and he's unbelievably effective, but I don't see a jump coming of that magnitude. I think he's going to be much better at 47 or 50% of the snaps than 59, mm-hmm. which he was last year. I, I want him to provide some early down pocket compression, which leads to second man opportunities. Right. It's unrealistic to have Pierce be the guy who's rolling up sacks. It's very yep. realistic to have Pierce with his pad level 
pulling a straight ahead anytime he gets a one-on-one opportunity, which is not that often, honestly, but but anytime he does get a one-on-one opportunity to be pulling up and denying space to the quarterback, forcing him to pull the ball down and creating an opportunity for whoever the hell else might be in there. To- uh, totally, totally. They also like, you know, being available for the whole season. I hate to say this, but the reality of it is NFL offensive linemen and defensive linemen as well. They tend to get injured more the later in the season we get. I mean, that's that stands to reason you're you're playing a lot more snaps. You have a lot more just mathematically, I guess there's a lot more chances to get injured. You know, I would like to have nagging injuries also to get worse. Exactly. And so you're dealing with you're dealing with a right guard in week 15 who may be a fantastic player, but you're dealing with 85 percent of him, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't know that. Other, no, I shouldn't say you don't know. We don't know that layman like us or like me anyway. You know, NFL defensive linemen can look at it and they can watch the pass set and go, wait a minute. That pass set was blank number of inches per step in the first two weeks and now look at it, you know, he's short stepping this. Something's not right with his right foot. There's ways that those guys who, who see that stuff from an end zone angle repeatedly and study it, know things that we don't know, you know, include myself. So like those snaps later on in the season, look at the Bengals, look at what our D lines have been able to do against the Bengals, you know, in, in, in last season, you know, with our offensive line, we need as many talented, powerful athletes to be able to beat them and the Steelers, because I think the Steelers are going to be better than a lot of people expect. All right, so let's move on and, and tell me what a great season would be. Set the set the bar for that. For a great season? Yeah. I would love for him to be able to some people would say, let me rephrase that. I would love for him to be able to replace the five and a half sacks that Calais Campbell had. But I, <laughs> okay. even even that, if I remember correct, two of those, maybe even three were on like, as you said, it second guy or second effort sacks. I, I am not a person who thinks that, you know, oh, you had 12 sacks, but, you know, three of them you were unblocked and three of them was you were the second guy there. I don't care. <laughs> like what difference does it make? You know what I mean? With diff- especially when you're talking about a defensive tackle like a Michael Pierce, uh, a great season you know, three plus sacks plays 35 to 40 snaps a game near the end of the season, you know, ramping that up. Uh, and, and then also he's a dominant force against the run game early in downs to where people become more, more one dimensional because, and you alluded to this earlier, the nature of our defense is going to change a little bit because the time of possession is going to be uh, less in our favor. Potentially, there's the potential for that. It'd be more plays for both teams. Correct, and we may we may have less of a market share. Let's put it. I guess I can put it that way. Mm-hmm. And so, making people be more one dimensional early in each possession, down series of downs, if you will, um, I think is to our favor. It's to our benefit. I'm not saying I want us to go out there and give up big pass plays at the uh, expense of stopping the run. But uh, Michael Pierce, to me, is a guy who, you know, if he's going to have a great season, he's going to influence other teams not to run the ball on the third and fourth possession because we've already proven to them, hey, we can stop that concept. Because it's it's about more than just what concepts people are using. It's about what have we already taken away from you, shown you that you can't do. And Michael Pierce is one of those guys, I think. I don't think we have 40 of them. I think we have 15, maybe 18 guys who can take away certain things you want to do. Um, and, and force you to go to your left hand, I guess, if you will. 
Yeah, that's that's a great point. And and it's a lot of playing interior defensive line is denying space, denying opportunity, denying certain play styles in terms of what you do. And I I I like that a lot. I said it a little different. I said I want to play him to play 15 plus games and show no sign of regression from being the top flight nose tackle in terms of run defense. So I'm basically saying hold at three pluses, hold all the way at the top of the league pretty much in terms of what he's provided as a run defender. Um, and, and I mean that specifically in terms of tackle productivity and space denial. So no run, no run, no rundown, no regression in terms of his tackle productivity, mm-hmm. in terms of his missed tackle rate. And space denial is the biggest of those three issues because it, it's the one that shows up every single play. And it's it'll be a good season if when Maureen and I are doing the notes, if his name is constantly coming up because he's moving his guy in some way that's forcing the offense to work around that, whether that means bubbling, whether the quarterback has to roll out because of it, whether it means you know the field is is getting bifurcated more on on certain plays, um, but he doesn't have to make the tackle every time. Mm-hmm. He just he just has to get the push that sets up somebody else to make the tackle. And uh, the Ravens play very good team defense that way as well and i think that uh, that that pierce can be the playmaker or he can be the space denier he can play both roles no that's a great way to put it the space denier and and we talked about his pursuit as well if someone else you know turns the ball inside he with that pursuit he's once he gets moving <laughs> uh he's a he's a real handful it's like that force fumble against the jets i've watched it probably six or eight times and i'm just amazed by it i'm like that's a d tackle who got out there and did that? Uh, he's a unique player. Like I, I probably downplayed him somewhat talking about the injuries a lot, but he's a unique player. Don't worry. I have one more demand out of a great season for him is that I want the one three to be used and work. And and right. I think I think we'll see this this year at least on a trial basis at some point. If 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 he has a great year he will really make it easy for Jones to succeed. And Jones will also compliment him. It'll be a very symbiotic relationship there where Ravens fans come to identify this going on the field and first down and say, Oh goody, I wonder which one's going to get single team this down and, you know, create an opportunity. Usually it's going to be the three, but, but, you know, obviously you, you mentioned the situation where the tight end can, can switch sides and you might change your blocking alignment and, and, and that would change. Even if we just see, that other teams have to deal with that. So maybe now the other team has to use their motion to move inside the way the Ravens have on, in the Roman era and create an additional double team on the inside mm-hmm. to try and run the ball against the Ravens who can you know, put these two enormous mountains of men in there. I think that'd be very exciting. He needs to contribute to some pass rush finishes in addition to solid pressure rate via compression but i don't have any specific goal in terms of a sack total i'll just say if he's involved in the a or b component of that being the first man in with the pressure or being the guy who finishes in some way sack or quarterback hit um you know i'm happy with either of those types right this with a with an increase from 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 where he's been so I, i think definitely could be one of the very key ravens this year yeah i i like that i like the way you described it i also think I guess this is this is something I kind of have thought of previously, but in terms of some of the games that the Ravens play, you know, where they'll have, you know, one guy, you were mentioning, I forget which player you were talking about, you know, guy being in three technique and then slamming a gap and then now having to deal with the center. But of course, you know, sometimes they're, they're actually intentionally picking the center. So someone else can sure. loop around. I, I wonder 
if Pierce can ever be the second part of that equation, meaning I sus- correct. I, I, you know, with, even though I, we say, we both agree that, you know, he does have great pursuit from an inside out angle out in space. Uh, paradoxically, somehow, I'm not sure if, I wonder if like we, he's on the field for 50 snaps and we haven't run any particular stunts. And at some point during the season, teams are like, Hey, wait a minute. When Pierce is on, they're not running this particular stunt. You picking up on what I'm saying? I'm, I'm absolutely picking up on what you're saying. And I want to go back to an example to say, I think this really could happen if the Ravens just decided it was going to happen. There is one player in Ravens history, and no one will get it unless they've heard it before on the show. I, that's what I would basically say with this. But I've always been dying to interview this guy if the Ravens can get me his current contact information. Okay. Mm-hmm. The one guy is one guy who stunted more times as the over per snap than any other player in Ravens history. And it was not hmm. anybody you'd expect, but it, it goes back to the early Ravens years, and it's James Jones who was the nose tackle. Hmm. A very similar kind of build. He had some quickness. He really he did generate some sacks career. He'd be more like a Jones player, I think, than a Pierce player in terms of being a, 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 an overpowering player. He's more of a quickness player. Still, he's a nose tackle. And he did some amazing things. He played 91 snaps, 90 or 91. I forget what's the exact number because it was a total, I believe, 91 defensive snaps. They played in that first game, uh, the overtime, the first year, the overtime game that they won against the Rams at home. 37-31. He right. played 91 snaps in that game, which is he's one of only several Ravens defenders ever to play 90 in a game. And he's he's the only defensive lineman to do it. Just wow. Re- remarkable, remarkable day. And, and he he just would stunt all the time in, in the uh, Marvin Lewis defense. And I love that. But, uh, but anyway. That's a lot. Yeah. 90 snaps. I mean, at that level with the type of effort that you're you're putting in and, um, and the size of your body, you know, how much oxygen you've got to get. That's amazing. I knew, I knew one um, athlete that we coached who played. Uh, two-way starter. He played 143 snaps Jesus. one night. <laughs> what were you doing yeah. to this guy? <laughs> he was a superstar. That's what. Uh, and on his hundred and like 35th snap, he um, he nearly took a punt return to the house in a like you know like classic 14-7 game where you look back on and you're like, you know, we miss half a block here and this kid's gone. You know, but 90 snaps in one. NFL game. Oh my God. I wonder how many times that's even happened. Receiver corner kind of combo or what was he? Safety and then offense, everything (laughs) wide receiver, running back, quarterback, whatever we needed. Uh, But how many, how often does that occur? 90 snaps in a game for a defensive player. That's 90 snaps in a game for an offense or for a defense almost never. occurs. So you're, uh, you know, the, and that that's non penalty snaps. So it's, so it's, it's exceedingly rare. Even, like I go back to the double overtime win in the Mile High Miracle. I think the Ravens had 87 defensive snaps in that game. Uh, you know they they had they had 91 or 92 offensive snaps in the in the playoff loss to Tennessee. That was mm. that was the, in the 2019 game. So they they've they've had some some that have been right in that area, but they've 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 never been any higher than that in terms of uh, of, of snap. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we got we got to call it here, Coach. 
just a, I, I, I could talk football with you all day. I so enjoy it in terms of, of, of the depth we get into and, and, and the rabbit holes we go down in this. But, you know, it's, 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 it is kind of a maze of shoots and ladders. I'm sorry for that, man. Like it's my, that's it's all my fault. fault. <laughs> it's really not because I'm happy to talk about it is the problem. And, 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 you know, we go off on this. But, you know, during the season, I hope we get some chance to do some offensive, defensive shows. Those I split up into two anyway. So they're kind of perfect for our sort of discussions. Definitely. And, uh, and we'll uh, we'll make sure we have you on again. But uh, really appreciate it. Tell folks where they can find your work online. Uh, YouTube is all 22 films. And then you know, I'm only on Twitter other other than YouTube. Um, and it's all 22 films. It's a weird um, it's a weird tag. It's like all underscore 22 underscore NFL underscore cuts. Uh, I've never been able to figure out how to change it. I still can't. I keep appealing to people like help me change that. But it's all 22 films is the is the front to the Twitter page and the YouTube page. And um, I appreciate you having me on. It doesn't it kind of doesn't surprise me that we end up, um, you know, going off on tangents and talking for a while. Cause I think from what I can tell, you know, we're both night people. I know I am. Yeah, and then, very much so. Number one. And then number two, you know, w- we appreciate talking about the Ravens and we both put in a lot of work. I know I do. And I can tell every time I'm on your show that you do. And, and there's a level for me, at least there's a level of respect, like, Hey, this is a person who sits and grades every, offensive lineman and and does that by i'm guessing you have that done by what tuesday or wednesday every week yeah we finish on monday night we finish it yeah so that that's a a serious level of commitment because other people are using that and other people are referring to it so you know when we do talk it doesn't surprise me that we go on too long because uh you know I, i respect it and have fun you know on here and it's very rare that i get the opportunity uh, maybe I don't get many opportunities because I'm long-winded. So maybe <laughs> help me out with that. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not holding you back on that. You know, you're. You're uh, basically. I've I've apologized over and over to the to the listeners about how long these shows sometimes run, and there never seem to be complaints about it. Of course, some of the people who would complain about it probably just aren't listeners anymore. So right. I, I, I've tried to come up with other content types which are shorter, but I'm not going to compromise something like this where where you know the, the quality of it's at a high level. I I want to have long discussions and. Break it up over over two commutes, damn it! If you if you want to listen to the show, yeah. listen to the show. Also, too, I think there. I, I often try to remind myself of this. There's there's content out there for everybody. If you're looking for short form, you know, there's plenty of that to go find and and then compare that. You, the, as Ravens fans, we're I feel like we're complete we're completely blessed with the amount of content creators there are. I will tell you, there's other teams I've gone and searched, you know, specifically. Like I can't find many content creators for other teams, for certain teams, Yes, you know, for the Ravens are so many. And I feel like hopefully you and, and hopefully me is, is just a part of giving people as complete a picture as we can without, you know, sitting in the meeting rooms and figuring out, Hey, what the heck are you reading on this place? So man, I appreciate the time and the opportunity to come on. All right. Outstanding. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short this off season, there's still time. It's July, kind of a perfect time to hit me up with your idea. DMs are always open on Twitter. Uh, if you've got even the kernel of an idea, happy to discuss it with you, see if we can come up with a show that really makes sense, and uh, we'll get it recorded really quickly, get it turned around, because camp is starting pretty soon. Uh, Coach, always great to have you on. Thanks again. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. It was fun. Uh, my wife is going to be you know, cursing me in the morning when I'm tired, but it just, just, <laughs> means, a, just means a second set of coffee, a second uh, you know, drink of coffee tomorrow. So, man, appreciate the time. All right. Have a second cup of coffee on me and and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.